Hello and welcome to another series uh, conversation on D6, which is the study we're going through at Southwest for uh, all of our families and adults. This is Mark Compton, and I'm glad to be with you today as we talk through uh, the title of today's section is Consider the Source. So the Consider the Source is for uh, the week of December 13th. Uh, and two primary points for the week are God's word is always true and life and freedom are found in God's word. We'll be looking at Psalms 119, also Deuteronomy 30 uh, and John 8. You know, when you think about truth, what is absolute truth? Does absolute truth really even exist? You know, and when people search for answers and direction, or in other words, truth for their lives, where do they turn? Where do you see people turning? You know, if you talk with your kids or you talk with your friends or you talk within your family, where do you see people turning for truth? Do they turn to football teams, favorite sports teams? Do they turn to their favorite video game? They turn to the television, seeking truth, what's right, what's wrong. Do they tune in to a radio program that they can listen to and hear about what the latest thing? Do they go to the mall and try to discover truth? Where do they turn? And without a belief in God, where else could truth be found? Really, and I think we're in a debate in our world today around truth or absolute truth in the sense that absolute truth doesn't exist. Because you can't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? Because if there is no absolute truth, there is no reference point for determining what is true and what is not, what is right and what is wrong. Now, sometimes people might say, well, the absolute truth are things like a circle is round, right? And a circle is not a square. But those are simple things, and they're observed elements that may not actually always hold true. Because in a two-dimensional perspective, a circle is certainly seen as a circle. But if you were looking at the circle in a 3D world, that becomes a sphere, and the 2D cut of that is actually the circle. I know that I just probably lost lost you on that piece of it. But it's a big struggle today in our society because people are throwing away any essence of a defined standard, any essence of truth. Unless it happens to injure somebody or offend somebody, then that becomes their truth. But in true reply, we're operating in a world where we assume that there are these truths that exist, and therefore they're enforceable, but yet no one's willing to go back to a true standard. And if you really push it, like, what do you base that on? What do you base your belief on? It falls apart. Because eventually, that belief has to come to be based upon something, some standard. We happen to believe in a God. We happen to believe in a created God. And I love this D6 series, and it 
it's uh, from Deuteronomy 6 is why it's called D6. And um, Jeff Sadler a few weeks ago gave a great explanation of D6. I wanted to just briefly, before we go through the importance of absolute truth, but in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9, love the Lord your God with all your heart. These words shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Write them on the doorposts of your house. So what are the doorposts or the key principles that frame a biblical worldview? Take a sample of these or take a listen to these. The Bible is God's word. God is a personal and spiritual being. God created the universe and everything in it. I am a special creation of God with an eternal soul. I am engaged in a spiritual warfare. Sin brought death and destruction into the world, and bad things happen because the world is a sinful place. I cannot save myself. I need a Savior. God offers salvation and forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. And the home is the first institution that God established to make disciples and transfer the faith. And the church is the second institution God established to make disciples and transfer the faith. And Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of all. So we follow a God. We follow a great God. We follow a perfect God. And when we look at the world and the created universe, the psalmist had his perspective on the greatness of God, the perfection of God, the absolute infallibility of his creation, our world. Psalms 119, 89 through 91, those three verses, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. Adam Clark, a commentator, uh, on verse 91 says, All the celestial bodies are governed by thy power. Thou hast given an ordinance or appointment to each, and each fulfills thy will in the place thou hast assigned it. In the book, The Reason for God, Timothy Keller, I think, captures the impossibility of random creation in the following way, quoting from Robin Collins and Stephen Hawkins. Hawkins, excuse me. I'm going to read uh, some of the uh, verses, or some of the, not verses, but some of the words from this book to you. This section is called The Cosmic Welcome Mat. For organic life to exist, the fundamental regularities and constant of physics, the speed of light, the gravitational constant, the strengths of the weak and strong nuclear forces, must all have values that together fall into an extremely narrow range. The probability of this perfect calibration happening by chance is so tiny as to be statistically negligible. Again, Colin puts it well. When you look from the perspective of scientists at the universe, it looks as if we knew it, as if it knew what we were coming. There are 15 constants. The gravitational constant, various constants about the strong and weak nuclear forces, etc., that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even, listen to this, one part in a million, or in some cases by one part in a million million, the universe could not have actually come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, stars, planets, or people.
Did you hear that? If any of these constants were off by one part in a million or one part in a million million, matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would be no galaxies, no stars, no planets or people. He goes on to say, some have said that it was as if there was a large number of dials that all had to be turned within extremely narrow limits, and they were. It seems extremely unlikely this would happen by chance. Stephen Hawking concludes, the odds against a universe like ours emerging out of something like the Big Bang are enormous. I think there are clearly religious implications. <laughs> and then the author... Timothy Keller goes on to close and says elsewhere, he quotes from Stephen Hawking, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun just this way, except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. I love it. The world was created intentionally. That is a foundational belief that we as Christians have to embrace Nothing else is truly explainable. When you really begin sifting through the data, understanding the data, doing some research on this and all the different constants that exist, constants are called the word constant because they don't change. They absolutely don't change. This is how God intended it to be, and there are narrow bandwidths for this to work. If gravitation changed just a little bit, we'd be flying off this planet or would be crushed into the planet, plus the other implications of gravity on the entire structure of the universe. But even more important, God intended to create beings like us. God intended to create you. You are intentional. And God tells us that he loves us. So he has created us intentionally, and he loves us and cares for us. So it follows that this perfect created world has a creator, God. And he has set in place the context for its existence. In other words, physical constants and rules for this universe do exist. And guess what? God has rules for how life needs to be lived. Again, skipping down a little bit through Psalm 19. If you get a chance this week, just read the entire Psalm 119, so much power, so much reverence, so much worship of God in these words of Psalm 119. Starting in, in verse 137, righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. See, this understanding the psalmist seeks is not one of self-understanding or philosophical wondering, nor is it a political debate. The understanding is one of asking humbly emptily, earnestly for the righteousness of God. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? As you try to explain what is righteousness to somebody, it's difficult. But simply explain, God offers us instructions in the Bible on how life works. What he declares, rightness, or what I'll call truth about living, is valid forever. 
So righteousness is simply abiding in God's truth about how he intends for us to live our lives. I love that verse, especially the verse 140, where it says, Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. We try a lot of different things in our lives, and when we go off and try our own thing, it doesn't work all that great. But when we try it the way God has set it out for us, how he's laid it out for us, how he's talked to us about how it should be, it works. And when things work, we love it. And so the psalmist says, your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Not that we've tried other promises, but too, when we try God's promise, when we abide by it, when we live in it, that's when it really resonates. So indeed, God, right are your rules. Deuteronomy contains such depth for understanding the foundation of truth and formation of God's right rules. And in Deuteronomy 30, Moses captures the importance of abiding by God's truth in our lives. In verses 11 to 20, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You should not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is a powerful, powerful if-then statement. If you follow the rules for living, it will work out. If you don't, life won't work. What I love about the passage here is I love the beginning of this because it says it's not too hard for us to grasp. It's not far off. It's not in heaven. It's not away from us. It's not across the sea somewhere. We have to say, hey, I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for the answer. I'm looking for a way to make my life work. Can someone go climb up to the top of that mountain and bring it down so that then I'll have that understanding of what to do? See, without a belief in God, we think the good times in our lives are what we deserve what we create by our own might. When things stop working and we find ourselves challenged, we don't have a God then to lean on who promises us that more is coming, that better is coming, and that this is not the entire plan. 
However, living in God provides, provides us powerful coping and resiliency techniques as this God, the God, the God that created the, the creator God of this universe who brought his son to this earth so that he would die for us so that we could then be redeemed by being faithful to him, by believing in him, by being baptized. And this God we can cling to and he won't ever let us down. So this section here in Deuteronomy 30 ends with, therefore, choose life. Choose life. Life only truly exists in God. See, that's the contrast Moses is capturing here from God. That life is in God. That death is away from God. But therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and your full length of all your days. In John 8, Jesus takes all of this and succinctly breaks it down to the Jews who believed in him. And he says this in John 8, 31-32, If you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Commentator Wearsby captures these verses very simply as, when we obey his word, we grow in spiritual knowledge, and as we grow in spiritual knowledge, we grow in freedom from sin. Life leads to learning, and learning leads to liberty. There's this sense somewhere that you'll hear that following a God means you're captive, that you have no more freedom. Freedom is to be able to do whatever it is you want, whenever you want, and I assume to whoever you want. But that's where the debate starts, because when we start getting into someone else's business, they say, get out of my business, because that's not right. It's like, oh, really, how do you define right? It comes back to this, though. As Wearsby says, when we grow in freedom from sin, life leads to learning and learning leads to liberty. So this week, as you contemplate this study, as you contemplate Psalms 119, as you think a little bit more about uh, Deuteronomy 30, as you read through John 8, also there's a section in John 17. Read that powerful uh, words from Christ, the prayer from Christ in John 17. But this week, as you try to grow your own faith or you maybe teach it in your home, make note of two things specifically. First, the precision of God's creation. For fun, note the times of the sunrise and the sunset and see how they shift precisely from day to day, but not randomly. And if you're talking with your kids, that's a great little exercise to show them is show them the sunrise time. And the sunset time, day by day, it's not, let's see, for today it's 427 is the sunset. So tomorrow it's not going to be randomly 443 or the next day 415 or the day after that 405 or the day after that 530. It doesn't move around <laughs> randomly. If, if I was in charge of it, it would move around randomly. But note the times of the sunrise and sunset. 
See how they shift precisely but not randomly. See the birds flying around, the beauty of that, the clouds moving, the fog settling in or lifting, and the pitter-patter of rain. And note the beautiful cycle of all of that. And then secondly, note the sense of God's instruction for our lives. By sense, I mean that it makes sense, that there's a clear right and wrong. There's a clear consequence, a negative consequence for doing bad things, a positive consequence for doing good things. God provides us with precise instruction, just like the sunrise and the sunset. There is precision to what God asks us to do and the reasons why. So allow me to close our session today by praying Psalms 119 verses 129 to 135 over you. Almighty Father in heaven, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, our soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We open our mouths and pant because we long for your commandments. God, please turn to us and be gracious to us, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady our steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over us. Redeem us from man's oppression, that we may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servants, and teach us your statutes. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week, and may you ever know that God's creation is precise, and that his instruction for our lives are absolute truth. Go in great faith. This is Mark Compton for Southwest Church of Christ, D6 Adult Ministry.